You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. Today we're going to begin the eighth chapter of Yoma. And this is the chapter that we can relate to because this chapter describes Yom Kippur as we, well, as we know it today. But in, in order to understand the chapter, as ever, we need a pasuk. And so we're going to go back to chapter 16 of Ayikra, Achare Maus, Achare Mot, and just focus on a couple of verses right at the end that have nothing to do with the temple sacrifice. Most of chapter 16 is about, you know, is, is about the Beit Migdash, but there are a couple of very significant verses at the end. It shall be a statute forever. For you, in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, and then the text says, "You shall afflict your souls." No one can really know that the the Torah doesn't spell out what this really means to afflict your souls, but it uses this word, and then and then it adds, asu." And you shouldn't do any work. So you shall afflict yourselves and you shan't do any work. It's like it's a Shabbat. And the Torah continues, Because on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. We'll come back to this to the, at the end of the Perek. You shall be cleansed from your, all your sins before God. We'll come back to this at the end of the eighth chapter. And then the Torah repeats, Shabbat Shabbaton Hilachem. It's a Shabbat of rest, a Shabbat of complete rest. It's a Shabbat Shabbaton. And then, Ve'initem et Nafshotichem. This expression comes back again. You shall afflict your souls. Ve'initem et Nafshotichem. And then the verse concludes, Chukat Olam. It's a statute forever. It doesn't matter whether the temple stands or does not stand. The command, to afflict your souls or to afflict our souls, that seems to carry on. So what is this affliction of the soul? Inui Nefesh. And there isn't a great try. I mean, uh, the the root inui ein nun hey can mean lots of different things. It can mean to sing. It can mean to answer. It can mean to take advantage of. There, it can mean to take advantage of in a sexual sense. There are many, 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 many interpretations of inui in Tanakh. But we'll see, and that the Rambam will tell us a bit later, we'll look at the Rambam, that the this expression, tem et you shall afflict your souls, actually comes up five times in the Torah. And I've just brought you two, because I, I didn't have time to bring all five, but I promise you it does come up five times. And the rabbis learn, at least in the Talmud, in, in the... Um, in the Babylonian Talmud, not in the Jerusalem Talmud, but in the Babylonian Talmud, the rabbis learn that from the five occurrences of the expression ve'initem et nafshotechem, you shall afflict your souls, from this 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 quintuplet expression, there are five prohibitions. 
And that is the essence of the first Mishnah of the eighth chapter. Yom HaKippurim Asur Ba'achila Uvishtia Uvarichitsa Uvasicha Uvinyat HaSandal Uvatashmishamita. On Yom Kippur it's forbidden to eat, to drink, to wash, to anoint oneself, that means to smear oil on, to put on leather shoes or sandals, or to have sexual relations. And if you count, by the way, you'll see immediately that there aren't five. There are six. And the Gemara, the Gemara in uh, the, the, that's by the way why the Jerusalem Talmud doesn't try to learn, learn this out from five. And the Bavli has a problem with it, but the Bavli ends up by saying, look, eating and drinking are the same. So we can combine them into one and then we can make five out of the six. So that's how the, the Bavli reconciles the problem. And there are exceptions. A king or a bride can wash their face. According to Rabbi Eliezer, there are exceptions. A king or a bride can wash. A woman after childbirth can put on leather sandals. And the sages forbid it. So the sages forbid it, but already we see, by the way, that there is a possibility of exceptions to these rules and certainly in cases pikuach nefesh or suffect if there's any slight doubt about any danger to health or well-being then your rabbi will always advise you to you know to rest to eat to drink to to do what is necessary to keep future to be able to keep yom kippur in the future so to speak and the Mishnah is most interested of these five prohibitions in eating and drinking. So it goes on to explain. Someone who eats an amount like a large date. Kamoha. Like it and like it seed. So we got a volume of a large date, but including the volume of the seed. And someone who drinks a mouthful, chayav, is liable. And by liable here, the Mishnah is talking about liable to a... Well, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what this means in a sec. All the different foods add up to make a date's worth. So, for example, if you eat half a date's worth of cheese and half a date's worth of chocolate, then that adds up to a date. And all the, the drinks combine to make a mouthful. But food and drink actually don't add up. So if you drank half a mouthful and ate half a date's volume, then they don't add up. So now we're going to come to, well, what are we liable for? And the punishment for willful breaking of Yom Kippur is, is it's correct, it's cutting off. It's some awful punishment that we don't quite understand. It's some cutting off. But that's for deliberate breaking of Yom Kippur. If we accidentally break Yom Kippur, we just bring a chatat, we bring a sin offering. 
at least as far as eating and drinking is concerned. And again, you can see here that the rabbis are more interested in eating and drinking than they are in the other prohibitions. Someone who ate and drank in one state of unawareness. So in other words, you forget that it's Yom Kippur and you eat or you drink. You eat and you drink. And again, maybe this speaks, maybe this speaks to the fact that eating and drinking are considered to be one prohibition. Remember, we shrank the six down to five by combining eating and drinking. Someone who eats and drinks, who forgets it's Yom Kippur and he eats and drinks, just brings one sin offering. But if he ate and and performed work, and this is in the same forgetting. At that point, that person is obliged to bring two sin offerings. Eating or drinking and carrying out malacha, carrying out creative work, are considered, if you like, different prohibitions on Yom Kippur. So if we do them separately, we need to bring two sin offerings. But what if we eat food that is not food? Classic example today might be medicine, for example. Medicine is not food, it's medicine. So if somebody ate something that is not fit for food, something that is not eat, not food, or drank liquid which is not fit to be drunk i'm not quite sure what sort of liquids they might be but the mishnah will actually bring an example maybe liquid medicine is an example so for example he drank um is some kind of fish brine it's some kind of horrible brine you get you get We've seen it before, actually, in uh, Teruma. It's some kind of horrible fish brine you get after you're, you're, um, you're soaking your fish. And murias is some kind of fish pickling liquid. It's some kind of vinegar used for pickling your fish. Patur. You don't have to bring a sin offering if you drink that kind of stuff. Because it's not really... It's not, it's not, it's disgusting stuff. It's not drinkable stuff. And as the eighth chapter progresses, so as we learn the other Mishnayot in the eighth chapter, we're going to learn other examples of food that might not be food or of food where there might not be any food which is prohibited, but for where maybe for exceptional reasons is permitted. Now, the Rambam explains a little bit of the theory behind this in his commentary on the first Mishnah. And I, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't think we had time to go through the whole of the Rambam. So I've filleted it a little bit just to get the essence down for you. And I just put dot, dot, dots where I've broken it out. I mean, it's interesting to look at the Rambam um, in its entirety if you have time. But I've tried to fill it down, the key points here. And he explains... The Torah didn't actually spell out these five prohibitions. So he's making clear that the rabbis have got a problem. See, the rabbis have a problem in the sense that the 
the um, the Torah says to afflict your soul. There's certainly no connection in Torah, by the way, between afflicting your soul and fasting. Now, the word ta'anit, the root ainun hey, is used for, for a fast as a ta'anit in the book of Ezra. So it does appear in, if you like, the late stages of uh, of Tanakh, meaning fast. But there's certainly no indication in Torah that that afflicting your souls mean fasting. So the rabbis had to learn it out. And the Rambam is making that clear. The, the rabbis have done some work here and they've learned it out from the five occurrences. They've learned out the five afflictions from the five occurrences. And um, so they learned that the tradition taught that they came to, to that these five occurrences come to prohibit the enjoyment of five different things. And then, as we've noticed, by the way, in the way the Mishnayot are, are laid out, um, only eating and drinking carries cutting off. Somehow eating and drinking is a more serious prohibition than all the other prohibitions. And we can sense this, by the way, by just by the amount of weight that the Mishnah gives to eating and drinking. And we'll see that the next few Mishnayot talk about eating and drinking and don't mention the other prohibitions at all. And the Rambam's going to explain why that is. Amar Hashem Yitbarach, the text mentions in the context of the punishment of affliction, I will destroy this soul from the midst of its people. There's some awful punishment associated with, with breaking the prohibition, the, the prohibitions of Yom Kippur. I will I will destroy this soul, or perhaps I, I mean, but the root avad, aleph, bet, dalet there, from vehavadati, is something to do with death. Avedat, nefesh, is death. And the Rambam goes on. Uva hakapala davar sheha nefesh tluyaba. And the tradition teaches something that that the, the life depends on. Zo achila ushtia. This is eating and drinking. And the, the Rambam here is paraphrasing a discussion in the Gemara. It's, the Gemara is trying to understand, well, what is it specially about eating and drinking that makes it prohibited on Yom Kippur? And the Gemara, by the way, looks at the possibility that eating and drinking are prohibited because they make us uncomfortable. Do we have to make ourselves uncomfortable on Yom Kippur? And the, the Gemara rejects that. The Gemara comes to the conclusion that eating and drinking are forbidden because, because eating and drinking are actions that if we, if we stop performing them, will ultimately lead to death. In fact, they're the only actions that if we stop performing will ultimately lead to death. You know, we can try to stop breathing, but after 20 seconds, we'll, or after a minute, after two minutes, we'll become unconscious and then our instinct will make us breathe again and we could, or we could stop trying to go to the toilet. But after 24 hours, right, we just explode. The only thing you can do in terms of your vital life functions voluntarily that would eventually kill you, that would eventually lead to death, 
is stopping eating and drinking. It's, a, it's as if the prohibitions of Yom Kippur are designed to give us some reminder of our own fragility, some reminder of how close we are, how much we live on the edge of life and death. And of course, this is something that runs through the whole of the Masechet of Yoma. And it will. we will see as we go through the eighth chapter that it will run through the eighth chapter as well. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.